0: good morning everybody thank you for joining law matters in the studio we have rich tracy here co-hosting
1: good morning
0: and on the phone we have uh, mike simonelli in new york and we have ken wood calling in from texas and our topic today is bail reform and how it's failed across the country but before we start talking about that i want to tell everybody save the date Arizona Heroes Memorial in Oro Valley is going to host a free concert on the 16th of October. We'll have more details on our website as time goes on, so save that date. Mark your calendar. It'll start at 2 in the afternoon. And I also want to announce that future remotes are on hold due to budgeting. If you want to uh, support Law Matters, go to lawmatters1030.org and do our 1030 challenge. That's you donating ten dollars and thirty cents each month and that'll help us out by keeping the lines of communication open so ken can you hear me
2: i sure can thank you for having me
0: hey ken i want to start with you because this is your first time on the show tell us a little bit about you and and what got you involved with um bail bonds
2: (sighs) Well, uh, I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for over 30 years. Uh, I started out representing doctors in hospitals when they got sued, and then I uh, started doing appellate work. I started arguing a bunch of cases at the Court of Appeals and Supreme Court of Texas. And then a bondsman got in trouble, or he had a default judgment, and so when he asked somebody, "Who do you hire to fix that?" and they said, "Well, you need a appellate attorney," and I've got somebody that I think's good, so. I I fixed that for him, and then word of mouth spread. I started representing other bondsmen. I'm Texas counsel for an insurance company, and I started getting active in the state association, the professional Bondsmen of Texas. Uh, I'm on their board. I'm on their legislative committee. We propose bills to the the legislature, and I've continued my uh, interest in appellate work. I've argued the two most important cases in the bail industry in texas at the court of criminal appeals which is the highest court in texas for appellate matters i mean for criminal matters or Bell matters
0: so we were talking about and in, in, i don't know if you know mike simonelli he's the author of the um the book justified deadly force and it's a pretty interesting read i don't know if you know him or not but i was talking to him about this topic and can he hear us is Mike there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Okay. Yeah. So when we were talking about it, I, I said, you know, it, it seems like this has failed across the country. It's not just a Texas thing or an Arizona thing or a California thing. It seems like people want to give people a break when it comes to getting arrested. You poor poor guy, you can't get out of jail because you're poor. But yet they let him out, <laughs> so they reformed bail system and it's not working so how how is that affecting texas
2: well i think the issue that we see is we that's the argument that is initially made is we need to protect the poor and uh, as a result of that statement we then enact policies that then tie the hands of judges and in effect they cannot then then they cannot address organized criminals gang members, or um, crew criminals, because if they're just charged with a certain offense, no matter what their criminal history is, well, then we have to, like in New York, we have to release them without bond, Uh, no matter how many times they've committed that offense, because, you know, the, 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 oh, maybe the settlement or the, the proposal for compromise across the country seems to be well we'll just give up on misdemeanors or we'll look the other way on misdemeanors and concentrate on violent offenders and that's just been a fiasco and we're we're now making misdemeanors today the the felons of tomorrow we're making that the grounds where we're perfecting them where they're training and so we we've just given up on accountability and if we don't start back on Making people or holding people account- accountable, it will continue to get worse.
0: Did you watch the news this morning at all? They had, um, what did they call it—a a flash mob or something like that—going to a Seven yes, Eleven store. That. Yeah, did yeah. You, and there, what was fifty people or more just trashing this Seven Eleven store? So what are they yes doing? At-
2: just they, they come up with a little kick, you know, a little you know, thing. Like, hey, let's all meet up at the Seven Eleven on social media. And, you know, there's no fear that they're going to be in trouble because, you know, they, they get there, and, I mean, they just, the crowd builds, and then they just, I mean, somebody gives a signal, and they just, it's crazy. And it's because, oh, well, it's just a misdemeanor. And right. in some, in our urban areas, we now, we've de- decriminalized that. We're not even going to prosecute them, and they know it. And now we've created so much chaos that, the, the ones that they're still prosecuting, if they are, the criminals are like, eh, I'm, I'm not worried. And you can look at Harris County as an example where a misdemeanor, they get arrested, they never see a judge, they get, a, they get released on a free $100 bond, they uh, never go to court, and for the last two years, they've had a 72% chance that their case will be dismissed, and if they miss court they have to miss court three times before the court can do anything to them so of course they do nothing and yeah. no one's held accountable and they just commit more and more crime that's the reason why crime is going up and the da in harris county has issued a report she's a democrat and she said it's inc- crime is increasing in part because of these bell bell reforms that we've enacted
0: is that the same thing mike is that the same thing in new york
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Crime has skyrocketed since this bail reform, which uh, that happened in 2018 after the Democrats gained both houses and had the governorship, so it became a one-party state. So they enacted the bail reform, and like your guest is saying, they got rid of bail for all misdemeanors, except for a couple of sex offenses, nonviolent felonies, and then just a few violent felonies. And uh, the numbers are off the charts. And just recently, last week, we had a guy, who, they sh- it's on video, it's all over the news over here in New York. This man's outside a restaurant, and this guy comes up behind him, puts some gloves on, and just sucker punches him from behind. Ends up cracking his skull, um, then cracked his jaw. He's got a brain bleed. He's in the hospital on a coma. And what did they give to this 55-year-old homeless man? He was released without bail. Now, that's clearly a violent felony, but was released without bail.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, he was charged yeah. with a misdemeanor, uh, released without bond, and then uh, apparently he's locked up now because he was on parole. I'm not exactly sure he was on parole for, but he got locked up a on a parole violation, trial. right? Well, there's yeah, there's even worse well examples
2: in New York because, you know, the, gov- the Republican candidate for governor was giving a speech outside somewhere, and someone went on the stage with a knife, I mean, and he deflected them, And the state arrested him and they released him with no bond. The feds had to come in and charge him, and the feds are holding him. And that's the only reason why he's in jail. I mean, New York can't do it, so they have to get the federal government to come in because they can't, they have set up a system where the judges cannot hold a guy who's trying to physically harm a Republican candidate for governor.
3: Thanks, right, man. not just the governor gubernatorial candidate. He's act the acting. He's my current congressman, Lee Zeldin. So yeah, if it's yes, you're, you're right. Government yeah, government officials. What does that say about the ordinary citizen? What kind of protections they're going to get?
2: How well, I... and again, you know, these were set up so that well, because you know we have to protect the poor. We we set up a system where we're taking advantage of the poor. I mean, now we we can't even attain a. Uh, We can't take care of career criminals or violent offenders. And so I would argue, I would say, what would we have done differently if we were on the payroll of gang members or organized crime to set up a system that we can't even address them? It's ridiculous.
0: So what's the solution?
2: Well, the solution is not to compromise and say, we'll just give up on misdemeanor. And and make that the uh, the ground where people become tomorrow's felons. The, comprom- uh, the The solution is to go back to what we know works. Yeah. In New York, it was the broken windows theory of law enforcement. Right. And you build from there. And you know what? We're going to have to put more people in jail before it's going to get better because the criminals have this uh, they have this idea in their head that they don't they won't be held accountable that there's so much chaos the case will never get reached and so if so we've got to have to go to just the basics hold people accountable and we're going to have to give judges the ability to hold people and we're going to have to scrap these stupid laws like that were done in New York and you know they've they've already done two rounds of rollbacks but that's not enough to even keep someone who has threatened and tried to harm a republican candidate for governor or just don't say republican a candidate for governor anybody and until we yeah. have yeah any, until we have systems in place that give law enforcement and the, the judiciary the discretion to hold these people and then we don't and we have to untie their hands and then we have to hold people accountable and, and then the- we have to get people to court
1: Right, and in the case of uh, Congressman Zeldin, it wasn't even the state laws of New York that protected the public. It was the federal government uh, stepping That's in and right. charging him with assault on a federal officer—you know, assault on a member of Congress.
2: Right. And you know that was the, that was the part that just really disgusted me is is that you know New York has set up a system that we can't even protect our own citizens. So we have to we have to get the federal government. And, you know, everybody says, well, we have to be like the federal government. Well, we can't, you know, the federal government holds over 70% of the people that they arrest. We can't have a system like that. But there is a big difference between release everybody and hold almost everybody. And, you know, what the problem is, it's all become political. You know, what this is really, the big problem here is, how do we process large groups of people through the jail quickly and efficiently in our big urban areas? And we've got this politics, this political thing that we got to get rid of the bail industry. And the problem is there's nothing to replace it with that works near as good or near as well because the bail industry has been around for 200 years. They get people to court. They have the lowest failure to appear rate. And so the, the real issue on, um, from the political standpoint is they want to get rid of the bail industry. But they're replacing it with systems that don't work. We know simple release in New York doesn't. It's not working there. It's not working in Harris County in Texas. And so we have to go back to what works. And if what works is using the bail industry and getting people to court, then that's what we have to go back to. And until we find something that works, something near as well. I mean, we're replacing it with things that have a 50% failure to appear rate versus less than 10%. Well, you can see how that's impacting our courts. If 50% of the people don't show up every week, that means their cases have to be put on hold until they come back. And there's a study that says in that situation, they they come back when they commit another crime. We have to stop that.
0: I was under the impression that they would release you if you didn't have a record. It was You were like a first-time offender. It, you know, don't do that again, but you still have a court date. It sounds like they're letting, you know the ax murderers and the the rapists and all these people out just because? Well, it starts
2: with the misdemeanors, you know, and so in New York, the bail reform was this whole class of crimes. And then they, you know, what they tend to do is then change crimes from felonies to misdemeanors. But these crimes, you do, the the court is ordered to release you without bond. And In Harris County, it's They just release you on a $100 PR bond, but it's the same thing. It's simple release. And so they don't look at your criminal history. It's just, have you been charged with one of these crimes? No matter how many times. And then in our urban areas, we've got prosecutors that are saying, oh, well, we're just not going to prosecute this crime anymore. So that's the reason why you have Cadillac converter, catalytic converter theft skyrocketing because it's so profitable. And now that we, we decriminalized it, we've got. The people that are stealing the catalytic converters getting a little bit of money, but the middleman just making a killing because they can take it down to the trial elements, and that's just—I uh, mean, who do you think's taking advantage of that? Organized crime.
0: Yeah, and look and at all the people that—I that, mean, it costs a lot of money to get that fixed.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So it's not just a, a little crime; it's a huge crime. You just damage somebody's car; they can't use it anymore. Good
2: well, you know, but, I mean, we have people that say, well, this isn't really a ba- you know, this is something that's protected by insurance. So it's, it's not really a, a real crime that we should be concerned about. We have people in Texas that say, well, we should put people in jail that we're scared of, not people that we're mad at. And I keep telling him you know, that, you know, we've got people that are listening to you. And they have decided, you know what, I'm going to see
0: how mad I can make you
2: without putting me in jail <laughs> make and, it and it that looks look
1: like what they're like doing <laughs> across the country
0: yeah well there's a few people here I'm mad at too so <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I wrote that down I'm going to be using that in the future people were scared of not mad at I, I like that so
0: that's funny but it's true so what happens with a case like that smash and grab 7-11 thing where all those people were in there what happens with those people nothing They put it on the news and go, "Shame on you!" Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll tell
2: you what happens to those people: nothing, because they decriminalized theft in California below a a nine hundred something threshold, and so we've got stores across the spectrum who are closing in New York, New York, because you know there was one store that came out and said we can't afford a twenty five thousand dollars shoplifting a day uh, cost of doing business. Uh, Starbucks just announced they're closing stores across uh, California in the urban areas, San Francisco, L.A., because they can't provide their employees a safe work environment. And so you've got – I mean, it's becoming a problem. And who is this harming? The people that live in the neighborhoods. Who are the people that are getting harmed by this? The people that live in the neighborhoods, which is usually the same minority of the people who are being – Committing the crimes. So this is a minority on minority crime. It's an inner city crime problem. And our politicians are refusing to address it. And that's why you're seeing crime grow up. And that's why I'm hoping that in this coming election, people are going to be voting safety, not identity.
1: Right. You you have folks in uh, some of these neighborhoods where they walk to the local Walgreens uh, on a, fi- you know, they're on a fixed income. They walk to Walgreens to get their prescription every month. And now Walgreens is closed because of this exact thing. And now what do they what do they do? What do they do?
0: Yeah. And they're afraid to get yeah. it in the mail because people will just steal it. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, exactly it, right. Exactly it, right.
0: It has. It's a problem.
2: Well, and it's the same thing in so many different areas. Look at our immigration reform; that is also has the exact same problem. We don't we have immigration
0: are, reform.
2: <laughs> it well, it's not working. Po- it's we're still not reform. Doing policies, <laughs> but
0: we're
2: we're not doing we're doing po- things because oh, these people just want a new life. They just want uh, uh, to make money to send to their families. But in the same as a result, we're tying the hands of immigration officials so they can't do anything about. Drugs coming in fentanyl in enough uh, quantities to kill everybody in the United States, and you've got and you can't address gangs, you can't address organized crime. I mean, so these policies, which sound good, they're kind of like a soundbite, but they're actually doing the opposite. They're tying the hands, and it's the same thing in criminal justice reform, bail reform, immigration reform. You see it across the spectrum. We can't have talking points of. Uh, Policies. We need something. We need policies that are in the best interest of our country.
0: And what policy would you put together? How would you fix this?
2: Well, how would I fix this? I would start with uh, accountability, and I uh, this is one of those issues where I don't know if there is a compromise because the compromise that looks like they're trying out is let's give up on misdemeanors. So the compromise I would would do or the how i would fix it is go back to what works and i would in our urban areas i'd set up bail schedules and, it, and i would take into consideration their criminal history so if they didn't have a criminal history it'd be one amount if they did then it'd be another amount and that way we could divert as many people who can afford it away from magistration the magistrates can concentrate on the people who uh who who can't get out and divert away from magistration which are the poor and they'll have additional time and then i would give them the discretion and require them to look at criminal histories and then if they get out on a on a free bond if they fail to show up okay if you want to give them a second chance five give them a second chance but if they fail to appear twice uh, but we got to get rid of this eight nine tens second chances 12 second chances And if you're out on, you've got accused of five crimes or more, I don't know if you need to be out of jail. I don't know. I mean, we're going to need to hold more people. Someone told me recently, well, we've got the largest number of people in the world in jail. And I said, well, if that's true, where do you think they send all their drugs? They send all their drugs here. So, of course, we're going to have more people in jail. But as long as crime is increasing, we don't have enough people in jail.
1: So, Mike, uh, let me let me let you jump in on this. Uh, it, what, what he just described sounds to me, and this is a very malign term, but it sounds like what he just described is essentially the broken windows theory of policing.
3: Right. Uh, ultimately, it all boils down to holding people responsible for their actions, and clearly, criminals are not being held responsible. In fact, the only time you see outrage when there's a victim in America is if that victim is a person of color and the per- and the person who caused them harm was a police officer. So when True. police officers are, are being killed or shot, it, there's not 24-7 coverage of that incident. Um, there's not protest in the streets. So we need to somehow change what the media is talking about, what causes people to be outraged, and... You know what I would also like to see, and this is a little bit out of the box, you know, you know, if an officer makes a mistake, even if it's split second, like we saw that officer with the Dante Wright shooting, where she shooting him with a taser shot him with a gun. That was a big national outrage story. She ended up getting prosecuted for murder and she's in jail now. Well, because her life was taken while well, she made a mistake. Well, when these judges, when they do have discretion and they let these, these violent criminals off time and time again, When the indicators clearly show that they're a threat to society well how about when that released criminal causes harm to a family that judge is liable that parole board's liable because otherwise where's their um you know where's their incentive to not just let all these perps out yeah where's your accountability on the innocence right exactly
0: accountability i think starts with the parents though i mean kids are being raised uh, where they're not accountable
2: Well, you know, that's a good point because in our inner cities, that's, you know, I, I was on a podcast with the sheriff recently and he said, you know, 80% of the people in my jail share three things. Number one, they, there are no dads in their life. Number two, Mm -hmm. they have no education. So they dropped out of school. And number three, they have some outside influence, which is either a mental issue or a drug issue or a gang issue. And so, uh, I mean, that's 80 percent of the people in the third largest jail in Texas. And so but we need to have the law enforcement's back. And, you know, one of the and, you know, they're under attack everywhere. One of the arguments that I see that I don't think people realize is, you know, we've got people from think tanks on both the left and the right saying, you know, we need to get rid of, of qualified immunity for law enforcement. Which qualified immunity is something that says, you know, as long as they're acting in good faith, they can't be sued. And if we took that away, well, that means any police officer in this country that somebody wants to second-guess what, what he did can be sued right. and will be harassed by any billionaire that wants to provide the funding for that. And, and that's another way of running off good people in law enforcement— and making it even more chaotic. And so we've got to have, I mean, that you would think that there would be people on the right wing think tank saying, this is a ludicrous, stupid idea. But no, they're saying, yeah, we should do this. And so we've got to have the backs of our law enforcement when these things happen or when these arguments are made and call them out.
0: Yes, absolutely. We need to support our law enforcement and, When they're out there doing their jobs, some of the people that are complaining about what happens with law enforcement, I would like to see them in the same situation and see what kind of choice they would have made.
3: Well, we we see that happen. We we hold uh, citizen academies, departments across the country, and we try to get in the people that uh, speak out against us, the local civic leaders, the activists. And when we put them through these scenarios of shoot, don't shoot, and mind you, they know that what they're holding is a fake gun or they're the person coming after them. But they have um you know sim munitions, so fake bullets that to give you a little sting. And constantly they shoot people in situations where that even the the police won't because we're more restrained and we're more professional. But it shows that it when they're put in our shoes, they're pulling the trigger faster than we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I went through the Citizens Academy with Border Patrol And they have a a simulation thing like that where you you need to shoot and hopefully hit the bad guy, not the good guys. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. It's not easy. So we're going to take a quick break. I want you guys to hang in there with me. We'll be back in a few. Thanks for staying with us. Rich, you have an announcement to make?
1: Well, Sarcy also wants us to remember that uh, we are in the heart of monsoon season And uh, please stay out of the washes uh, where there's running water, either on foot or in your vehicle. Uh, There was some news this week of uh, SARC or the Sheriff's Department plucking people out of a wash because they were stranded because of the raging water. You don't know how deep the water is or how fast it's running. So uh, stay out of the washes
0: and stay out of the news. And don't forget, we have the stupid motorist law, so you don't want to get a bill.
1: Oh, that's right. They'll they'll bill you for it if you <laughs> they, they have
0: that option, that's for sure. As they should. So on the phone we have Ken Wood from Texas. We're talking about bail bond reform and we're talking with Mike Simonelli from New York. And we're trying to figure out what can we do to make the system work because right now it's failing across the country. And if you watch the news this morning you saw fifty, sixty, I don't know how many people raiding this Seven Eleven, tr- just trashing the place, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, you're talking petty theft, and I'm thinking they did a lot of damage. That's no longer petty theft. Can they be Can they be charged with the damage they did to that?
1: Well, another, uh, we have a lawyer on the line, but I would think that you know, it, it, if they're, you could only charge people individually for what they did. I don't think you can get a conspiracy out of that necessarily, or even if you could. Would the, I don't think you'd get a prosecutor, especially in L.A. County, to prosecute that as a conspiracy so that everybody could be charged with all of the damage and all of the theft. Just- so what do you think, Ken?
2: Well, it's L.A. County. You know, Gaston has <laughs> tried for two example. recalls on him. and But, but remember, his office re, uh, said in the last year, when asked about a victim of a crime, they said, well, we just have a difference of opinion over who the real victim is. They think the, the criminal is the real victim, not the person who had the crime committed against them. And so think about that. When they, If they were to ever go to trial, they've got the defendant arguing for the criminal, and you've got the DA arguing for the criminal. There would be nobody in the whole courtroom arguing for the victim. That's the status of criminal prosecutions. In LA County, and that's the reason Gascon has been uh, uh, facing two uh, uh, recall petitions. And the last one, I believe, and it's only my personal opinion, that the reason why it wasn't successful is because they wouldn't allow independent monitors to come in and, and watch them as they reviewed the petition. So when they announced they weren't going to allow that, you knew what the result was going to be that, oh, we just, right. you didn't have enough valid signatures. Yeah, they, they, they in L- In LA, they have decided that if you steal less than 700 or $900, that that's a misdemeanor. And now and now the prosecutor inher- in, in L.A. has said, well, we're not going to prosecute those crimes. Anymore. So they decriminalized theft under
0: $900. How much is a catalytic catalytic converter worth? Well, to the person steal it, pennies. Uh, but, you know,
2: uh, maybe, a, I mean, let's just to assume replace. $100 but but the but the people the middle people the people stealing it the reason why it's taking off it's a couple
1: thousand to them right and it's it's not the catalytic converter itself it's the metal that's inside the uh-huh. platinum the palladium the rhodium whatever metal is what other do they do with that there. well they they that stuff is very valuable to whoever is Extracting it from the catalytic converter and selling it. Now, what they do after, what the aftermarket is for that metal, I honestly don't know. I just know that it's the they're not selling catalytic converters to put on other people's cars. Well, <laughs> they are extracting the metal from it. You so,
0: know. so, okay. So, what do they use that metal for? Anybody? Mike. <laughs> Nobody knows. No. Uh, uh, yeah.
3: all, I, all I know is uh, they, they go to the junkyards and they get big bucks for it. Right. Uh, Yes, what what they do afterwards with it, what they burn it down and put it into, I, I couldn't tell you.
1: Yeah, there's there's. Uh, yeah, I think it is,
2: it has so many uses that that's probably part of the problem. But I mean, we've given up. Like in Harris County, they don't prosecution, don't prosecute the person that stole it, but they're trying to do incentives or making a crime for the person buying it. So what do they do? They just go to a different town to sell it. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You got to go back and just to the basics, and and give people incentives not to steal and you first thing you do is you make it a crime and you enforce the crime and you make them go to court and then you hold them accountable and until you do that this is going to continue to increase it's it's too easy too easy to uh, to take off and it's too easy
0: to sell yeah in my car they couldn't get to it because it's it's built differently as I went, and they said they were going to, here in, in Tucson, they were going to etch the, I guess, the the numbers into the catalytic converter. So if it was sold, they'd know where it came from, and they could prosecute people, but they couldn't get to it. Not oh, my once pro- it
1: gets to someone who's going to extract the metal from it, doesn't the VIN on it doesn't matter, right? I mean, That's right. And someone's just going to tear your car up more to get to the catalytic converter if they're committed to getting it. Oh, thanks, Rich. Yeah, just just being honest ah. with you. <laughs>
3: also think about who is being victimized typically in the cr- in the crime of having their catalytic converter stolen it's the poor and middle class people who have to park their cars in the street overnight not the wealthy who would typically have in them a in a nice garage right yeah, yeah.
2: no, that's, no a that's, that's, again, that's a good point
3: that's a good point
1: that's and it's correct. usually older vehicles because they're easier to get to in older vehicles and and just as right. valuable so again, it's people with older vehicles that are parking them in places where they're exposed. Um, when I was at the Department of Economic Security at our office up at Ina uh, and Lachoya, we had we had a couple of. There was a ring at that time, and they stole two catalytic converters off of employees while they were at work. Came in broad daylight. Broad, broad daylight. Oh my god! Now, yeah, fortunately, gonna, we had. A, I'm going to say, yeah, yeah. We can't, we can't protect our cars because, I mean. Where we,
2: where is it happening now in our inner cities? Well, I mean, you go to the Houston Astros game. Where's your car? You can't have somebody watching it in the parking lot as you're at the game for for three hours. I mean, I'm sure that's what's killing people right now. Is they go and spend money, they go to the game, they they take their families, and then they go to they're trying to go home, and the. There's a bunch of candlelight converters that have been stolen.
1: Right. Now, I will say, just to close the loop on the case up in Marana, is we, we worked with, or it's actually in the county, but we worked with, uh, I had a, a good enough camera system at that building that we were able to catch the folks that did it. And I literally went out and took pictures of their truck one day as they were walking around looking for another via, looking for another victim because we were able to identify the vehicle mm-hmm. and all that. And So eventually they were cool. arrested and prosecuted, but they wound up, pleading the misdemeanors and were gone you know i mean it was they were gone in 60 seconds as it were
0: yeah no kidding what's up with this these plead deals why do why do they do that you know somebody murders somebody oh it was you know an accident i'm sorry and they get five months in jail what's up with that
3: isn't that so they can have a hundred percent rate of conviction and so looks better on their record
2: Well, but I think also, you know, now there's so much pressure because, you know, the courts were shut down for a year during COVID. And so there's huge backlogs. And I keep telling judges, you know, if you don't care if people come to court, you don't need the bail industry. But if you care that people come to court because you want to get your cases processed, then we have the lowest failure to appear rate. And so now with the tremendous backlogs we've added because of COVID, the shutdown, you know, just by using more surety bonds, you're going to decrease your backlog by doing nothing else. So, sure, give somebody a chance, but I mean, don't give them 20 chances. Give them a chance. But if after that, then say, well, then you're going to have to have a surety bond because I, I got a backlog. I need you to come to court. And, you know, the we're having a tremendous trouble holding defendants accountable. We share, we have no problem holding the bail industry accountable when they don't do what they're supposed to do. So, Hold us to it. I mean, give us more to do. We'll get your court people to court, and we'll get them there in higher numbers than any other release mechanism, and we'll get your backlog down. And, and you know, I think that that's going to have carry some weight now that we're getting back to work because there's just such a backlog. They don't have the money to go out and chase all these people down.
0: I know during COVID, they were letting people out of prison because of COVID, which I couldn't understand. It's like, you know, too bad, so sad. Um, Did crime go up after they let these people out of prison because of COVID?
2: Well, you know, I like to say that COVID gave us a a look at what these bail reform proposals were on steroids, because we kind of amped them up, put them on fast forward, and we saw the consequences. We saw people that were getting released commit new crimes within minutes, within hours, within a day. And so then, the, you know, then we started going for records. How many times can you be re- arrested again after you're released? And it's like, you know, people get arrested three or four times within a day because they weren't holding anybody for COVID. And so, you know, we release more people from jail. We release more pre- people from prison. Of course, crime is going to go up because that's kind of the natural consequence. But you add on top of that. These policies that tie the hands of the judges, so they can't address career criminals—people, those very people that have, uh, have had been in prison—and they decided, "Hey, there's, they're giving me a green light. They're telling me they'll let me take advantage of them." And you know what? That's what they're doing. Yeah. And now we've tied the hands of the judges, so they can't do anything about it. And we've got to do undo that.
0: Do we need more judges?
2: Well, you know. We may, if we're going to continue to use terrible release mechanisms, like just letting people go, simple release, which has a 50% failure to appear rate. I mean, think about it. If we've got uh, courts that are using, used to use a release mechanism that had less than a 10% failure to appear rate, so we switch to something that has a 50% or higher failure to appear rate, you're going to have to have substantially more courts just to process the same number of cases you used to process because you're using a different release mechanism. We may need more courts because of the backlog, even if we go back to holding people accountable. But if we're going to use these terrible policies that just give a law enforcement a green light, I mean law enforcement, defend, defendants a green light to commit more crime, then yeah, we can't we can't resolve these cases because no one's coming to court.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're skipping that part. <laughs> they let me out. Yeah, well, See you, yeah. bye.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're just doing the same thing the illegal aliens are doing when they come through the border. They're giving it a you know piece of paper, here's your court date, and uh, they never show up for it. So if the illegals aren't showing up, showing that the rule of law really is breaking down in this country, why would the regular you know American citizen criminals feel like they're going to be held accountable?
1: So, I spent my career in federal in federal law enforcement. So I'm a veteran of that system. So there was there was everything from personal appearance. So or bonds, own recognizance bonds, all the way up to the standard in in the federal system was, and probably in most state systems as well, that you had to prove in order to detain someone they were either a risk of flight or a danger to the community. So so somewhere in the middle of releasing someone on their own recognizance. And detaining them because they're a risk of flight or danger to the community, there were all these options for how you construct letting someone out on pretrial release as the as the case progressed. So I, I think, um, may, and I'll let I'll let Mike and and Ken answer this, but somewhere in the middle, I do think there was there was some, especially in state courts, there, there were some issues with people having these really really high bonds put on them that. Made it difficult for them to be released when they maybe didn't quite meet the bond, the the bar of being detained. Versus, so I guess what I'm trying to ask is: is there somewhere in the middle there where reasonable bonds can be set that protect the community and aren't necessarily tied to the crime, but tied to the ability of the of the of the person arrested to, you know, meet that bond and have it be a. a, a hurdle for them that they need to, that they don't want to climb over, but it's, again, that the bond is tied to the defendant, not to the crime.
2: Well, I think you make a good point, and I, I think I, I would make a couple of comments about it. Number one, you know, in the federal system, I think what you're saying is is pretty much true, but they have a presumption based on the offense, right. and a lot of offenses, mostly drug offenses, you have a presumption of detain, and so that, as a result of that, over 70, over 75% of the people arrested in federal court are for the federal system are detained pretrial. We can't afford that. So on the state level, the problem is we've turned that on its head and we're making it almost impossible for judges to hold people. So like uh, in New Jersey, they enacted a p- plan where they set up almost a mini trial within days of being arrested. The, the DA has to s- establish certain things by clearing convincing evidence. To keep somebody sustained, I mean detained, and if the DA doesn't want to disclose their evidence, you know, th- within three days of arrest and give it to the defendant, well, then they're they're going to be released. The other point I would make is, I think, you know, I did a podcast uh, with a scientist who did a study on why people are in, in jail, and he said it's not poverty; it's their criminal history. So. You know, when we set a bond or when a judge sets a bond for somebody, if it's, you know, they're supposed to take into consideration how much they can pay. But that's only one of the things they look at. And the others are the things that you've mentioned. But once they have a criminal history and they have prior run-ins with the law, then they're not in jail because they're poor and they can't afford the amount of the bond. They're in jail because of their criminal history and i think that meets all the constitutional requirements because if you sh- you know we our whole basis of our criminal justice system is we apply individual punishments and uh, to just the amount needed to make you change your course of action and if you have a criminal history you need more pressure and you know holding somebody pre-trial is the right of the government to make you address the crimes that you've been accused of And, you know, like in Texas, the only limit is the Texas Constitution. The only thing the government cannot deny you is a release on a private surety. Everything else they can deny you because it's not protected by the Constitution. And so when they're attacking the private bail industry, I, 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 I laugh because they're like, they're attacking the only way they cannot deny you a right to release. The only constitutionally protected right to release. So they're protecting your right to get out of jail. And they're making and it's a fancy soundbite. It sounds good. Sounds like we're taking advantage of people, but what we're we're the ones keeping them from chaos. And without us, we see what's happening. They're going to chaos.
0: Whatever happened with the ankle bracelet thing? I mean, they were talking here in Pima County. They were talking about, oh, we'll let them out, but we'll put an ankle bracelet on them so we know where they are. What happened with that theory?
2: Well, they cut it off and kill somebody. That's what's going on right now. Somebody okay. in Harris County did that this week.
3: Let, this last week. Wow. So, yeah. <clears throat> wow. I would just to uh, show the contrast between uh, what you're talking about with the federal cases how I think is close to 70% are, are are detained. Well, a study was done of the New York bail reform law and it showed that of if they used it back in 2018 of the 205,000 criminal cases that were arraigned in New York City that year, only 10% would have been eligible to be held on bail. So it, it, the pendulum has swung way far to the other side. So you're talking about reasonableness. I think you're right. We need to have something reasonable that's in the middle that takes into account people's criminal history and their ability to pay. But absolutely, the criminal history has to be a, a determining factor because think about everything you do in life. When, when you're going for a job, what do they want to know? Your, your previous employment history, because your past successes or failures are the greatest indicators of your future successes or failures.
1: Sure. Right. And, and I was kind of going to lead to the point of, you know, as as criminal history increases, so does the amount of bond, because the need to protect the community from defendants who are repeat offenders. And again, whether they're misdemeanors or not, you, you know, I mean, there, there's some serious misdemeanors out there that uh, that cause people harm. Uh, go, right. Going back to this this uh, young man that was assaulted in New York here or earlier this week um, and. The, the the offender there was charged with a with a misdemeanor. Ultimately, it looked to me like attempted murder, but uh, it turned out that they charged him with a misdemeanor. So, well,
0: George Floyd should have been in prison. Look at his career.
1: Well, yeah, that's uh, yeah.
0: well, we can't we can't under we can't not state that you know the
2: the impact politics is having on all this. You know, I listen to judges that say, "Oh, well, I had to release this person. They've been arrested multiple times. That's what the Constitution requires," and you go. Know, I mean, I'm telling you, from this bail reform, we've had to become experts on this area of law and on the constitutional requirements. And so when I have a judge make that argument, I'm like, well, you're just misrepresenting the law because you want that result. Because you're, what you're telling people is, well, I can't regulate people that are on bond in my court. No, you've got conditions that say don't commit another crime. If they commit, If they're accused of another crime, you can revoke their bond and you you refused to to do it, and now somebody has been killed. I mean, we, we see that all the time. Harris County, suddenly with bail reform, on serious felonies, people who are accused of murder are getting out on a PR bond, and then suddenly they commit a second murder, and all of a sudden people, you know, they're being held. It's like, do we get one free murder in Harris County? Like a dog, you get one free bite before you're determined dangerous? Come on. I mean, historically, in Texas, you don't get a bond once you commit that serious of a crime. But suddenly, politics is such in Harris County, we're giving them one free murder.
0: That, Give me a break. Just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all in the community. is not safe. Right, and and Texas,
1: as opposed to New York, I would say, Texas is, you know, people, if you just ask people which which state is more uh law-and-order friendly, I think, you know, 99%, if they know anything about it, would say Texas is more of a law-and-order state than New York, and look at the problems they're having in Texas. Uh, you know, Mike, I don't even know what that does to what's going on in New York that we don't even know about. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, that's because you do in Texas have cities where you have very progressive policies and DAs that are backed by George Soros, like uh, Garza, Jose Garza right. in Austin. Right. Right. Uh, there's another place where you're having people. I saw a case just earlier this month, I think it was. Um, let see. Yeah. Nathan Ramirez. He's charged with murder and aggravated assault for August 6th shooting that left Dionysus Thompson dead. I'm going to take a guess and say he's black. And 19-year-old Josh Noriega paralyzed. I'm going to say Spanish. So who was the victims of, of letting Ramirez, who was arrested twice just months earlier for unlawful carrying of a weapon and criminal possession of the controlled substances with, uh, you know, progressive bail reform in Austin. So, again, the, vict- the people mm-hmm. being victimized are the ones that these, you know, goody-two-shoes people saying they're trying to help are actually hurting.
2: Well, and that's a good point about the DA in Travis County. You know, we've got this fight going on, and it's all political again. The Texas legislature has enacted bail reform, but it is conservative bail reform, which limits the use of free bonds and requires accountability. It requires judges to review criminal histories. Harris County's reforms were the result of a weaponization of the federal court where plaintiffs sued uh, the county, and the county uh, were like-minded, and so they entered into a settlement. And they entered into a settlement which ignores Texas law, and the judge approved it, so now they call it a consent decree. And so now they're ignoring the new law for misdemeanors, and they're not following it, and because they're saying, "Well, we have to follow the consent decree." Well, no, you've weaponized the federal court, and and until somebody calls them on it, and you know, I'm I'm assuming that somebody will eventually, because I think the Dallas There's a new case from Dallas from the Fifth Circuit that overturned the case from Harris County, but yet the politicians won't go back to court to vacate the consent decree because they want that. It's all political in Harris County. Right. And so we talk about Harris County, but Harris County is a one-off. It's just a big, it's a big one-off because it's such a large, has such a large population. And what I agree with what you said, and that is the victims of these crimes are the same minorities that they're trying, they say they're trying to protect. And they're the ones that are are bearing the brunt of these, of these uh, proposals.
0: Well, I I think we need to do something and correct this. And how do you, tell the politicians, you know what, what you're doing is not working. How do we correct this? Well, in New York,
2: they've had two rounds of, they've had two rollbacks, even during, you know, when the Democrats are completely in control. So they felt the pressure to roll back what they've done. It's just the problem is, you know, they had pressure to roll it back even more. And in the last ones, the author of the bill just said no. And so that's going to probably be the number one issue in New York for the governor's election. And this, and in November and also it's gonna be the number one issue in Harris County and I think we had Democrat judges defeated in the primary by Democrat opponents so I think you're gonna see if crime is the number one issue or the within the top number three you're gonna see a lot of election changes as a result
0: so people really have to do their due diligence before they go to the poll and start voting and, you know, any, me, me, mode mo doesn't work.
1: Right. I mean, they talk about this in the context of Supreme Court justices being appointed by presidents. So regardless of your political point of view, what they say is that elections have consequences. Yeah, they do. And this is the this is the I mean, it's another example of where elections have consequences.
0: Yeah, you want to you want to find somebody who has the same moral standards that you have and not somebody who is going to go off the wall off the deep end one way or the other. And hopefully, we can through the next couple of elections fix everything. <laughs> so, who's running for who's running hopeful. for office? I'm... Yeah, I am hopeful. <laughs> who's running for office in Texas? Well, in Texas, we got uh,
2: Governor Abbott, and then we have Beto O'Rourke running uh, as the Democrat opponent uh, for governor. And you know, Beto is kind of using the you know we had an electric grid problem, and we had we've had a, a Uvalde gun shooting of the school. And uh, I think those are his two issues. But, I mean, the latest polls, his 10 points down, you know, he he when he ran for president, said, I'm going to take guarantee I'm going to take away your guns. And in Texas, you don't say that and win elections. Uh-huh. And so the problem with the Democrats in Texas is, you know, Texas could be won by Democrats. Absolutely could. But the problem is Texas has always been a conservative state, even when it was a Democrat state, it was a Democrat conservative state. But the problem Democrat candidates running statewide have in Texas is they have to get money, and to get money they have to to court the liberal base. And so they have to espouse and, and say liberal things to get money to run statewide, but then that kills them in their ability to win. So there were poll saying within five. I don't, I didn't believe those. The most recent poll says uh, down by 10. Uh, He's not on the ballot to win. He's on the ballot to try to prevent down the ballot uh, from being an absolute catastrophe. And so the question is really going to be whether down the ballot is going to be a catastrophe for Democrats in November or whether he's going to prevent that. I think it's going to be a catastrophe. But, you know, I'm wrong a lot. So we'll see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we'll we'll fix this with our voting rights right. and i want everybody to go out there and vote
1: and we you know we have a an election this year from u.s senator on down to dog catcher essentially right i mean you pretty know, much so uh, uh, we should here in arizona we should encourage all of the voters to be you know to study up and decide what they what the candidates stand for and vote accordingly
0: And I want to thank you both for coming on the show and and opening our eyes to this because I thought it was just a local problem, (laughs) so apparently not. And I want to remind everybody, if you want to support Law Matters, go to our website, pledge $10.30 a month, and that'll help us stay on air. And don't forget to uh, go to the Harley-Davidson dealership.
1: Yep, join me next week live for Law Matters at the Harley-Davidson in Marana.
0: Until then, shop local and stay safe. Thanks. Thanks, Mike and Ken.
1: Thank you very much. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you.